what do you know about your family history? Many of us know surprisingly little. Welcome back to Textonation. I'm Fred Fishkin. Joining us from Ancestry is Vice President of Data Science and Analytics, Azadeh Moktaderi. Good to see you, Azadeh. Good morning, Fred. Very nice to meet you, and uh, thank you for having me. Well, a recent survey conducted for Ancestry found that more than half of Americans surveyed can't name all four grandparents. That's discouraging to me. And then very, very few, just 4% can name their great-grandparents. That sounds especially, uh, the results about the grandparents, pretty shocking. Yeah, um, you know, that's, uh, that is true. It was interesting to me, but the good news is we have the census data and so much more to help people discover that about their family. So, you know, in some ways, I'm not concerned about that because we have something to be able to help people. And we should point out there, there are some real differences depending on age and even geographic regions in the country. So just this month, uh, as you were saying, the, the 1950 U.S. Census records became available on Ancestry, making a lot of new information uh, available to people. Tell us about this. Yeah, so the 1950 census, uh, so our nat uh, National uh, Archives and uh, Record Administration, or NARA, we refer to it, releases the census records every 72 years. Uh, so, you know, great moment, uh, you know, the 1950 was being released on April 1st, 2022. It was literally at 10 p.m. Mountain Time that we had access, uh, you know, to the record, and it was an exciting moment. You know, for us, a lot of team members, they came together and be able to, you know, to access that data and be able to make it available uh, for our customers to, to see and, and view. Uh, but I think just more specifically about 1950 and, you know, the, the, the specialty of it, you know, for us, it's, it's twofold. One is that, you know, 1950 was one of the first uh, censuses that used the non-military uh, computers to be able to uh, you know, do the statistical tabulation, essentially that was post enumeration. So that was like the first time that, that com those computers were used to even you know, do anything um, for, for such type of you know, uh, you know, use cases. But then now if you move fast forward to where we are today, Ancestry used their proprietary AI technology for handwriting recognition to be able to transcribe this data and make it available to our customers as full and fastest. So, uh, that's kind of an exciting moment for history repeating itself, uh, you know, for the 1950. Um, and again, you know, just, you know, the, the richness of a census record, like you, um, one out of three uh, discoveries in the U.S., we know it's from a census record. So, um, you know, it's, it's really rich. It's not just names and relationships beyond that. Like, it's, it's about stories, about, you know, your people's occupation, um, you know, their income, their address. But there is so much more to it than just, you know, people. So census records are generally amazing. And, you know, 1950, if you go, if you're born before 1975, uh, you probably find your parents in there. And if you're, you know, before 2000, you probably can find your grandparents in it. So it's a whole new generation of people um, who now can, can discover more about their family. So, you know, special moment, uh, you know, for, for people who, who want to discover about their their family for the 1950. And you were able to post a, a lot of this, what, like instantaneously? How did that happen? Yeah, so the images are available now on the site. Uh, you know, there are tools that people can go 
for enumeration district and find the information. So the images were available, you know, super fast. Uh, and they're going through uh, the handwriting recognition, you know, tools right now. And uh, with our partnership with Family Search, we're just reevaluating them, making sure that they're in the highest of equality, and we publish them state by state, you know, in order for them to be actually searchable uh, using our common tools at Ancestry. And that's going to happen, you know, super fast. So that's that's all in progress as we speak. So the actual handwritten records are, are on there now that people can go through, but they need to know a lot of information to be able to maybe find what they're looking for. But I that's going that's going to change that's going to change as the Absolutely. handwriting recognition kicks in. Yeah, we just wanted there there are a lot of people who've been waiting minutes and seconds to really get their hands on this record. So we just wanted to make sure that they have the images and raw images to be able to explore uh, as they have information. Uh, but now we're going to be able to make them searchable, uh, you know, by different fields. Like you have the name and last name and occupation and age and gender. And all of it is going to be going through the handwriting recognition. So it would be available for people to be able to search more, you know, in more details, essentially through Ancestry. But if they wanted the raw image because they know certain things about the enumeration district, they can go and explore. It's just much harder and you need to know something uh, in order to do that. Tell us, uh, during uh, the, the pandemic, uh, have we been seeing an increase in interest, do you think, in, in genealogy and, and ancestry? In general, I would say, you know, yes. And I think some of it is, could be, uh, you know, related to, to the time it takes because you want to be able to just, you know, explore and dig in. Um, and it, it, it may require some time and commitment. So, you know, some of that is definitely observed. Uh, you know, because then naturally people were at home and had more more time. And and then also, I think that just the nature of, you know, connection to family, you know, during that pandemic time. And it, it, it brought a different, you know, a different layer essentially to everybody's life. And I think that that recognition also naturally creates interest in, you know, appreciating your family and, and, and wanting to know more. And um, so there are, I think, multiple layers to this. And of course, uh, the, the work that you do that Ancestry does in, in providing the tools and the technology to, to put together a family tree can be amazing because the data in your tree can come from many other people's work that, that, that have worked on uh, your family that you may not even know those people, right? Oh, absolutely. I think there are two layers again into this, uh, two stages essentially. One is about what other people do uh, and the information. If that's public, then, you know, it, it could be served to others and they can use it to, to build their family tree and discover. But also like the investments that, you know, Ancestry has had over the last 20 years um, in, in bringing a very nice, uh, diverse set of records, over 30 billion uh, that we have today across birth, death, marriages, census. I'm just trying to remember, like, you know, immigration. Uh, military records. Military, yeah. call it. Like, there's just, like, you know, amazing set and diverse set of collections that you could use to really kind of discover. So a lot of things is for you to really consume and discover about your family and then also be able to actually tell stories, which is actually interesting because we had some surveys running that said, you know, about 66, uh, if I'm not, you know, mistaken, 66% of, you know, people who participated in a survey, they said they wanted to know about their family. 
And over half of those people said, I care for stories. I want to know what life was like for my parents and grandparents, uh, for, for grandparents like the and my ancestors, you know, in the past. So that that richness and the combination that that platform you know creates for people to be able to discover and have that diversity of information and richness to be able to tell those stories is it's just so unique and so special. And the DNA aspect, if people choose to do that, brings a whole new dimension into this, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Uh, you know, as long as you um, participate and and want to participate in in getting your DNA matches. Um, and then if you connect it to your family history and the trees that people have, you know, tied up to that, you would be able to just, you know, have potential cousin matches and others that a lot of people who are into family history, they contact them, they discover a lot of information. Sometimes you can partner and, you know, work together. This is another aspect of the platform that actually also allows you to, to share and collaborate. That essentially you could just, you know, work with that person to just say, tell me more about this, you know, distant aunt or grandfather or whoever that was to, to really kind of learn more about it. So, you know, the, this is just about the, that collaboration and the partnership that people create offline through those messages uh, with their DNA matches that could also help them discover, you know, richer and deeper information about their family. And it can also verify, uh, correct, uh, that uh, if you if you think that, okay, that sounds like it's probably a, a great, great grandparent or, or, or another relative. The DNA yeah, absolutely. can really verify it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's always about, you know, you, you just get it in a record, you feel good about it, you did some research, it makes sense. Well, let's just say that a distant cousin tells you that it's also true and they independently figure that out is also like reassuring, uh, you know, definitely. And uh, to make sure that two people sort of came to the same conclusion. So how long will it take before all of the uh, the work is done, the the uh, handwriting recognition and the AI work is, is done that people will be able to search through the 1950 census records. So we are through, going through them as fast as possible. We are partnering, uh, we are handing off our, our data to family, you know, search and their volunteers are working on, you know, quickly validating, you know, the, the transcribed information, making sure it's okay. So we just want to really have the highest quality, you know, to our customers. So, uh, we are working through them as fast as possible, and we're going to publish them state by state. So, um, you know, stay tuned. We, we just, we, we don't know exactly the, the exact dates, but uh, we are moving through it and we feel very comfortable that it would be available uh, quickly. Terrific. And for more information, the place to go, I assume, is Ancestry.com? Ancestry.com. Please go and check it out. Slash awesome. 1950 census. Asadeh Mokhtadere, thank you so much for taking the time with us. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Now this. It takes a lot of listening to build a better radio, and that's just what the folks at Sea Crane have done. Bob Crane and his crew, nestled among the rivers and tallest trees in the world in Fortuna, California, have made a habit of listening to their customers, and that's just what they've done in building the CC Skywave SSB the Swiss Army knife of portable radios. For everyday listening to AM or FM in the yard or patio or on the nightstand without having to drain a mobile phone battery, it's a great companion. But it is also a companion equipped for NOAA weather information and alerts that can be life-saving. You can listen to FEMA and Coast Guard transmissions too. Beyond all of that, 
you can tune into shortwave signals from around the world. It's compact, easy to take with you, and built to last. The CC SkyWave SSB. Click on the link at textonation.com.